0: We are getting set to talk undersea UFO bases with Preston Dennett. Let me introduce the, I was going to say the boys in the band, but it's, uh, <laughs> well, let me just uh, go right ahead. we got a few lineup changes for you. Ian is uh, not here. Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend, is actually in Las Vegas, I believe, this weekend, and he is uh, performing in a rockabilly festival in Las Wages, Nevada, on the same bill as the killer, Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, stepping in for Ian on the Fender Telecaster is Sebastian Hearn. Sebastian, welcome aboard. Great to have you with us. Albert and Ryan are off tonight. So it's just me and Sebastian and uh, all of you. Uh, that means no live YouTube stream tonight. We will resume the live YouTube streams, or HOAs as they're called, in two weeks' time. Uh, next week on The Conspiracy Show, just a quick programming note. Real Live Superheroes. Researcher, author uh, T. Krulos will be with me. And um, it is, just as the name implies, these are real-life superheroes. This is a fascinating subculture that he's researched. These are actual people in large cities across North America, in Canada and the United States, who don homemade superhero costumes... They take on new identities and they go out into the mean streets and fight crime. Or in some cases, they just lend a hand, help homeless people. It's an absolutely remarkable little uh, subculture that he's tapped into. That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Hey, if you're a fan of rock and roll and dark mysteries, I'm pretty sure you're going to love my new podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. It's available just about everywhere. Just Google it and subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday at midnight. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. It's part of the uh, Jericho Network. You've heard of Chris Jericho. And uh, in association with Westwood One. And there's, of course, the other one, Conspiracy Unlimited. That's my other new podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can listen and subscribe at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. All right, for a hundred years, strange activity has been occurring off the Southern California coast. Mile for mile, this area is one of the top producers of USO reports. USO reports in the world, drawing on first-hand testimonies from the Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, police officers, lifeguards, residents, and many others. My guest, Preston Dennett. Presents a compelling case for the possible existence of an undersea UFO base, sightings of weird lights, anomalous glowing clouds, strange objects filling uh, filing in or flying rather in and out of the water, mass UFO sightings, encounters with humanoids all are here. more than ten years of research presented here for the first time. The truth about this area can no longer be denied. something very strange. Is lurking in these waters. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Since then, he's interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, the author of 13 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. And his latest, Undersea UFO Base, an in-depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina Channel. Preston Dennett, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing?
0: I'm very well. You know, this is amazing that this, uh, it's gaining attention, but... There, there hasn't been a whole lot written about it, it's certainly not sort of compiled in one book. Were you surprised because, you know, have you, as you've delved into this, sightings off the south, co- uh, the coast of Southern California go back almost 100 years. And yet, not a lot has, has been compiled in one volume like you've just done.
1: Right. You know, I'm, I'm actually a relatively late comer. I got involved in 1986 after hearing a report on the news, and uh, immediately started getting reports in this one area, found out that all the other researchers were already aware of it. You know, people like Ann Druffel, who's a pioneering researcher in this area, uh, Robert Stanley, Bill Hamilton, others. So, yeah, it was already a well-known hot spot before I even came along.
0: How did you find out about, uh, uh, this is a great name, Wisher, is it (laughs) Serv? Survey. Survey, Wisher Survey, great name. And, and uh, he, he was compiling, I guess, eyewitness cases going back to the 20s and 30s.
1: Right. You know, I'm a big fan of the old books on the paranormal because there's so few of them. And he had this one that you know, talked about UFOs over Mount Shasta and a little bit about underwater UFOs off the California coast. It was the earliest report I could find uh, that was you know, real solid. But he talked about witnesses who saw these craft. Um, going out to sea and they would rise up into the air and come back down into the water. Um, clearly not normal aircraft. Well, I mean, there were no aircraft at that time.
0: No, well, not not a lot. Anyway, there was, right, I suppose, right. some. But and, and they didn't have, they didn't use the term UFOs. I think they called them strange boats.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, which, which makes sense. I mean, the whole idea of extraterrestrials wasn't even that popular in the 1920s. It wasn't something people were really thinking about in terms of astronomical phenomena.
0: So, uh the term USO, uh, what, is it, what does that acronym actually stand for?
1: Yeah, that's unidentified, unidentified Submersible Object. It's just like a UFO, except you can't call it a UFO because these things aren't flying. They're in the water. Right. Um, and probably a lot of them, I'm thinking, uh, not just in this one area. There's other areas that are well-known hotspots. But for some reason, this area, I have to tell you, there's nowhere on Earth like it in terms of the number of reports and how long it's been going on.
0: So describe the um, this channel. Sometimes it's referred to as uh, the uh, San Pedro uh, channel. Sometimes it's referred to as uh, the, the, um, the Catalina channel. Just give us a sort of, it's pinpointed on the map for us so that we can visualize it.
1: Right. It is technically called the San Pedro channel, but it's more popularly known among locals as the Catalina channel. Uh, it's the body of water that lies between Catalina Island and Southern California. Uh, it's up to a mile deep in parts. includes the Santa Monica Basin. Uh, it's the whole Channel Island area is part of this complex, though it's not technically the Santa Catalina Channel. But this body of water stretching from about at the north end, Santa Barbara, that area, it's straight south down a couple hundred miles to you know, past Malibu, past Santa Monica, down past Venice, Manhattan Beach, Long Beach, down towards there. Really, I mean, all the way down to San Clemente is where this activity lies. But it's mostly active in this, right near Catalina, between Catalina and uh, the mainland.
0: You have a map in here showing the uh, approximate distribution of UFO sightings um, in this area. And uh, I mean, there are there are dozens of cases here. But do you have a handle on on roughly how many in total there have been going back to the twenties?
1: Well, I mean, the ones I was able to document, I found at least seventy solid reports of these objects over the water, which aren't technically USOs, but it's clearly the same phenomena. And I charted those on a map, and I also charted the honest to god USOs. And by that, I mean people who've actually seen these things in the water, floating, maybe right above it, or underneath the surface, or coming in and out. And I found an additional 70. So that's, you know, 140 reports in this one area. So, But my feeling is, you know, one person in 100 reports they're citing officially. And I'm not sure it's even that much. So any numbers of, you know, how we're estimating, how common this is, they're vastly underestimated.
0: So 1% of people who actually see one of these things. Now, is that across the board in ufology, or is that just in particular to this region and this phenomena, USOs and Southern California? Are we talking generally only 1% report UFOs?
1: Generally. That's been my experience over the years of doing research. I always ask people that question. You know, Did you report this? Did you call the police? Did you call a UFO organization? Almost never have they. It's more common now, but nobody does, really, and uh, particularly if it's a dramatic encounter, they don't, don't report it. Not even to their family and friends, honestly.
0: And this has become, I don't want to use the term common here, these sightings of USOs, but it has become kind of this a thing, I suppose. That's what the kids are saying. It's a thing. Where you go down to yeah. the beach and you just wait for these strange lights to show up. It's, become, it's almost like the Audubon Society for birdwatching.
1: Right, yeah. I'm, you You know who Merrill Fenkhauser is, the guy who wrote the song Wipeout? Yes, yes. Um, I contacted him because he got involved in this. He turns out he heard about these sightings and said that, yeah, he was invited down to the beach to watch these UFOs coming out, coming in and out of the water. He declined to go and look at it, but said, yeah, it was a common thing. Um, This has been going on throughout the 50s and 60s and 70s, real strong, and a couple of solid reports. Every year, pretty much.
0: All right, President Dennett is with us. Undersea UFO bases. That's where we're heading. If you'd like to get on board, we'll make the phones available to you. Maybe you're down in Southern California, listening in on one of our affiliate stations, or you're elsewhere, but you've seen one. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll continue to delve into this fascinating sort of subset of the whole UFO arena, if you will. Preston Dennett stays with us. Hope you will as well. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
1: The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to
0: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, here's a new set of initials for you: USOs, not unidentified flying objects, but unidentified submersible objects, discs, saucers, strange craft seen coming out of the water, flying into the water, off the coast of Southern California, and uh, this is down on the uh, sort of the San Clemente, uh, um, I guess, up as far as what Santa Barbara, the Catalinas, the uh, the Channel Islands, I guess, are off Santa Barbara, aren't they? preston
1: right right that's the north end of where a lot of this activity is right catalina is a great viewing point rancho palos verdes um all along the coast i mean you, the, the pacific coast highway runs along this area and can't even go a couple of miles without someone seeing ufos from some point on the pacific coast highway
0: and, and in order to qualify as a uso um because as you, you know you take great pains in the book to explain that it's got to, you know, you have to have it seen coming in or out of the water. Sometimes UFOs are seen hovering above the water. Some are seen in the general vicinity of water. But you want, we're talking about disks that are actually seen flying out of the water or flying into the water, correct?
1: Right, for UFOs. In most cases, I did expand it a little bit because I mean, there were cases of unidentified floating objects. There was. One lady I interviewed, she's driving along the Pacific Coast Highway through uh, the Santa Monica area. Um, She's not driving, she's in the passenger seat, her friend's driving. She's looking at this light that's floating out there on the water, which doesn't look like a boat. It's too bright, it's just this bright, round light. She points it out to him and says, look at that, what do you think that is? And the second he looks at it, it goes straight up out of the water, up into the sky and disappears. Um, So what is that? Exactly. that I qualify as a USO because it was touching the water. And this there are a few cases where these objects are so low over the water that it's affecting the water or lights reflecting off of it or you know the water's frothing or something. Those I'm going to qualify as USOs as well because it's too close to call. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, a couple hundred feet up, then, no, nope, I'm going to have to call it a UFO, even though we know this is the same thing.
0: Right, right. You know, it's interesting. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be uh, talking about Shag Harbor, Canada's celebrated UFO uh, incident. Probably, well, I believe it's sort of, it's, it's billed as the, the only officially documented UFO case because there, I mean, there is a, a government paper trail talking about it but, right. it. but technically, when you look at the details of Shag Harbor, it's a USO.
1: Yeah, it's a great case. A lot of witnesses, official documentation, uh, went on for quite some time. Uh, really, um, an undeniable case of a USO, and proves that again this is a worldwide phenomena. I was contacted by someone who had, saw USO off the East Coast. Someone who saw, saw one off the one well, the Bermuda Triangle area, right near there. Someone who saw it in a small lake outside of Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, so they're everywhere.
0: Have Have they been tracked underwater by submarines or Coast Guard vessels? Uh, have they been you know tra- tracked on? Sonar?
1: Um, Sometimes. There's not a whole lot of cases of that. I did talk to one guy who was an electrician's mate on the USS Clamagor, uh, and he was on board, on watch, when a USO showed up. Uh, He was with another guy who was on watch, another petty officer, the captain and the second-in-command. They were on the surface, booking at about 12 knots up the east coast. This was back in 1971. And mind you, the USS Clamagor carried nuclear missiles. And he was on other subs. Nothing ever happened. As soon as he gets on this one, this USO comes zooming up from the stern at about 80 knots, he said, very fast, and started pacing this submarine for a good 15 minutes. First thing the captain does is asks him, you know, what are the radar guys got, the sonar guys? And he asked, and they had nothing they had no evidence that there was anything out there, uh, but it, there clearly was. They could see it. it, was, you know, 50 feet off the side there, up, maybe 50 feet deep. They couldn't quite tell, but huge, at least 30, 50 feet across, very bright, totally silent. And uh, what happened was, one by one, the, the higher officers came up on deck because they wanted to take a look at it before this thing went away. And uh, that's what they did, and then went back below deck and eventually this thing just moved off at about 50 knots, he said, and gone. The second-in-command turns to the captain and says, well, how do I uh, record this in the log? And the captain turns to him, you know, according to Ray Sachs, the guy I interviewed, the captain turns to the second-in-command and says, people who record incidents like this do not move up in rank. <laughs>
0: <There
1: you go. laughs> Assuming it wasn't officially recorded, I have to guess that it was reported, you know, under confidential channels, because I mean that's why they're there to look out for you know,
0: precisely. strange
1: craft that are invading our our space,
0: precisely or our waters as the case may be.
1: Right, right. Great case. Guy was a an amazing witness. I was able to verify the crew list. He was on it.
0: Are they targeting boats? Do you think, for example, you know there are a number of stories in in your book about fishermen, shark hunters, and so forth. Are, did they did they play chicken with boats out on the water?
1: Yes. It's definitely a pattern of behavior I've noticed. Um, both with the UFO, UFOs in that area come flying across, and then they'll see a boat and hover right over it. There's a couple of cases like that. Uh, one, pe- Some people actually called, I believe it was the Coast Guard, who, or the local military who sent out a plane. But by that time, the object went away. But, yeah, more cases... Uh, where these objects will come right under a bow. There's an excellent case which occurred in, uh, let me see, I believe it was 1983 or so, to a senior electronics engineer. He's out there in this exact area, Santa Catalina Channel, sort of more toward the Santa Barbara end, and sees this light coming towards him under the water. He stops because he can't identify it. It's pretty foggy, and he's not sure if it actually is under the water, and discovers that it is, and goes right under his boat, as if targeting him. And his electronics go haywire, his compasses are spinning. He said he was actually petrified because this thing was much larger than his boat and a very bright, bright green, and then moved on. So uh, there's a number of cases exactly like that where they do target boaters, but no one's been harmed in terms of in the boats. There's one case involving a plane crash so, uh,
0: Tell me about that. Tell me about the plane crash.
1: Yeah, this this segment actually appeared on Deep Sea UFOs. I'm not sure if it was one or two, but uh, they called me up after hearing about my research, and that was one of the cases they brought to the table. I hadn't heard of it. It involves a gentleman by the name of Noah Felice, a pilot who had taken off from Catalina Island w- with a friend and sees this object floating on the water, which looks unusual. It's round, and there's A strange-looking figure standing there, and he circles around for a better look when it shoots up a beam of light and strikes the plane and essentially causes it to crash. There's some indication that uh, the pilot had missing time, uh, but they're not quite sure how he survived the accident because he was underwater for a pretty long time before they rescued him. Uh, An interesting case. It's not one that I was able to do a whole lot of research on, but there's so many cases in this area. But it starts to make me wonder, this is kind of my first data point towards, is there perhaps a base in this area?
0: Right, right.
1: Sheer number of cases.
0: Well, you mentioned Rob Lowe, because um, I guess they renamed his show. Uh, It was, at least on A&E, I think it was called The Lowe Files, and he's traveling around the country with his two sons. And Rob was obviously, you know, growing up, I believe, probably a big fan of shows like Coast to Coast and... Uh, in fact, the theme song for that show is um, "Don't Fear the Reaper" by Blue Oyster Cult, which was a regular sort of piece of bumper music that Art Bell used on Coast. So, right. uh, and one of the episodes uh, was they chartered this this big uh, vessel, and they went out looking for a possible UFO base off the coast of I'm guessing of Malibu. Is that where you think it might be?
1: Yeah, the Malibu anomaly, it's come to be known as. And uh, I have to tell you, this came late in my research. I've been researching this area since 2006 in terms of documenting the USO activity. And there was no mention of this at that time. first person who actually found this on Google Maps was a a researcher by the name of Robert Stanley. And he kind of noted it, but it was another who used Google applications. And Jimmy Church, who popularized this, and Uh, it went viral.
0: My colleague on coast, yes.
1: Right. So uh, it went viral at this point, and I'm like, "Oh, wow, this is interesting because this is, you know, I charted the sightings of U.S. HOs already on a map, and here, lo and behold, this anomaly is right smack in the center of it." And uh, I put a whole chapter, you know, on this in the book. Uh, so there's quite a bit of information out there about it already. Uh, and with the Rob Lowe files, they went down there, sent a submersible and found no evidence of artificial construction, according to mainstream geologists and you know, skeptics, basically. It's a natural fault phenomenon. It's called sycamore knoll, and uh, there's nothing unusual about it. But if you look at these images, there is a very flat surface and columns, huge columns and what appears to be a tunnel. However, that depends on which Google images you're looking at. Some show this tunnel, some don't. The columns are not as uniform as you might think. And the flat area on top isn't really super strange enough to really call this artificial. I'm a little on the fence about it, but I'm like, wow, you know, this is exactly where all this activity is going on, and it looks like there's a tunnel there.
0: Well, it doesn't have to be artificial. Uh, It could be, you know, there are natural occurring caves and caverns that end up being used because... They, they just, they do the trick. So, uh,
1: that, that's what I was thinking. But I have to tell you, I was contacted by a number of people, three or four at least, and some who, you know, I place some credence in. They seem to be pretty high level whistleblowers. Uh, they said that there is a tunnel that leads out from this area, comes from Area 51 originally, through under the United States to uh, Edwards Air Force Base, and right out towards the, this channel. It didn't say specifically where it was, but I wonder if this is the tunnel that you know, I've been told exists.
0: So it would a craft would enter into the water off the coast of Malibu, enter into this tunnel, and then travel inland hundreds of miles and come up by Groom Lake, I guess, or or, or the area Area Fifty One.
1: Right, can't prove it. It's just one of the accounts I did collect, and it makes me wonder because. There's another unusual thing about this area. It's not just the number of reports, not just this Malibu anomaly. These are all kind of data points that pointing towards the undersea base. But a third data point that really had me scratching my head were about three or four cases involving not one or two objects, which is usually the case when someone sees a USO or UFO. Um, Maybe even a dozen objects is not that unusual. But I have three or four cases involving... Over 50, or actually in a couple of cases, uh, 200 objects.
0: 200 objects seen coming out of the water?
1: Right. I mean, this is what happened. I mean, the first case I got on this was the June 14th, 1992 wave over Topanga Canyon. I ended up writing a whole book about it. It got in the news. It was a huge event locally. And uh, I in- I've interviewed probably 30 people who've seen UFOs on that one night. All in different locations, up and down the coast. And the best interview—you know—some of these people saw one or two objects. A couple saw up to a dozen. People were being chased down the highway. It was a huge night. And I found this couple that live high on the ridge that overlooks the Santa Catalina Channel. And they were drawn out early in the evening, out, outside their home, because objects were coming up from below. Normally, when someone sees a UFO. Steering, you know, it's a star like object, and it zooms down. This is not what people were describing, particularly this couple. They said they saw at first about maybe 10 objects. And they're like, wow, you know, what's that? Is that military? Hmm. And they went back inside, but it happened again. And when it happened a third time, the whites started to count the objects. And this went on for two hours or so until they finally went inside and like, that's enough. Cause she had counted 200 objects. And the husband's like, he was nervous about that number. He says well. You know, it could have been about a hundred. And uh, you know, I was interviewing face to face and I bust out laughing because a hundred, I mean, my God, that is enough. Yes. I, I mean, right? What's the difference between 100 and 200 at this point? Um, she was very upset. She called the police the next day as a number of people did. Yeah, the
0: police got a lot of calls that night. I'll bet. Listen, Preston, we've got to take a quick time out. We'll come back. And um, I wonder if any of these people called into the um, National UFO Reporting Network with Peter Davenport. I'll ask Preston that when we come back. Stay with us. Undersea UFO bases. Unidentified submersible objects on the com- uh, Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
1: And in doubt, blame the government. You're
0: listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarek. Welcome back. Of course, this time of year, you can't turn the television on without seeing The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's epic movie with Charlton Heston. Uh, And so the mighty Aphrodite tweeted this meme out. I thought, I think it's just brilliant. Great picture of... um, The man himself with his long white beard, and uh, it says, Technically, Moses was the first person with a tablet downloading data from the cloud. (laughs) All right. Preston Dennett is with us. We are talking about unidentified submergible objects. His new book is Undersea UFO Base, an in-depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina uh, channel. Uh, I was just asking as we're heading into the break, any sort of corroborating not evidence, but reports from when when people see these craft flying out of the water or going into the water. Uh, is Peter Davenport, for example, getting getting uh, people calling in, writing in at the National UFO Reporting Network?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, a number of reports in the book did come from New Fork. Um, not a whole lot of corroboration in a, a lot of cases, but it does happen. I mean, there was one case... Involving a landing with humanoids uh, in Playa del Rey. This was back some time ago in 19, gosh, 50, 50s, I believe, where three people were driving along the Pacific Coast Highway and their cars all stalled at the same time. And they see this UFO had landed right there on the beach, and a humanoids get out. They're dressed strangely. They look strangely, but are otherwise human-looking, uh, and uh, try to talk it with the witnesses in an unintelligible language of kind of a strange contactee case and get back into the UFO, which takes off. It became a pretty well-known case and was reported in a number of UFO books. But what I found was some corroboration because on that day there was a bunch of reports in Long Beach and some involving Air Force pilots were chasing these objects. Uh, the police received a bunch of calls just you know, about 50 miles away on the same day. Not great corroboration, but definitely intriguing at the least.
0: How about for you personally, Preston? Have you uh, gone down to the beach and seen one of these USOs?
1: <laughs> well, I have gone down to the beach. I uh, have not seen USOs you know, proper. I've seen a number of UFOs in this area while I'm out there tromping through fields, usually anomalous lights. Um, I did have you know, some really strange experiences during the Topanga Canyon wave. I remember I was driving. This was through Woodland Hills, which is adjacent to Topanga Canyon, and this ball of light came right up to my windshield. I'm telling you, it was a foot away. It was not a reflection, not a bird or anything uh, conventional. This thing just moved back and forth in front of my windshield, maybe three times, dived down a little bit, and went straight up. This round, glowing ball of light, and. It targeted my car. Came right up to me. Uh, so that was probably one of my best sightings I've ever had. Really. Mm. Uh,
0: Catalina Island is uh, there's a there's a Boy Scout camp there. There's a, there was an right. incident. Was that back in the 80s?
1: Um, there, well, you know it depends which ones you're talking about. I've got like five or plus cases involving groups of Boy Scouts. Uh, there was one really interesting incident in 1952 involving 300 Boy Scouts. And 50 scout leaders who saw a metallic UFO in full daylight hovered there for 5 or 10 minutes, darted around and moved off. And they ended up all writing written statements, which they sent to March Air Force Base. And they did get a response from, I believe it was C- Commander Charles Bicking, who was running the base at the time. Uh, but there was no official investigation. But, but yeah, a number of Boy Scout reports, are uh, really amazing A recent one in 2016, uh, involving a witness, I was able to interview, and he's another one of these cases involving hundreds of objects. Uh, so, yeah, there's something about this area. I'm telling you that the UFOs and USOs are really into.
0: When they, what do witnesses say? What do witnesses say uh, about how these craft come out of the water? Uh, do they come out at incredibly high speed? Do they slowly? emerge maybe float on the top and then take off how do they how do they emerge
1: um, there's a baffling variety of reports which is a little you know disturbing to me because it's hard to categorize but generally speaking seeing a USO come out of the water is the rarest type of USO sighting The most common being seeing objects come diving in at high speeds and not crash just disappear into the water um, but there are a number of reports where they do come out of the water. Um, there's one report which I thought was kind of interesting. This guy's down at the beach and is looking at what appear to be buoys in the water. But they all have lights on them, which, you know, is not terribly unusual. There's a number of places where there are light buoys in this area. And he's thinking, well, that's what they must be, even though they looked a little unusual. When one by one, they went, rose up into the sky and took off in kind of a slow at first and then fast. So there's all these different varieties not only of how they're moving, but really, I mean, what people are seeing. There is cylindrical craft. There are saucer-shaped, you know, a classic saucer. There's square-shaped anomalous lights, glowing clouds, spheres, manta ray-shaped ships. It just goes on.
0: Glowing blobs? (laughs) Glowing blobs?
1: (laughs) There's like five cases where these objects are dropping what looks like molten metal or something, into the water. There's a very famous case, Maury Island case in a 1947, involving these kind of donut-shaped objects. And this is where they were the dropping material in the water. This is exactly what these other people were seeing in this area.
0: Hmm. All right, Preston, hold on. We'll come back. I want to talk to you about... Uh, t- talk to you about- well, we'll dial it back to 1942, February of 42, and the Battle of Los Angeles. Right. Could that have been the, uh, the case of a, a USO? We'll discuss on the other side. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Stay with us.
1: Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
0: Psychic Angela Thomas coming up after the top of the hour right now. Preston Dennis stays with us for a few moments yet. We're talking about unidentified submergible, submersible rather, unidentified submersible objects. His new book is Undersea UFO Base, an in-depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina Channel. Uh, so just a couple months after Pearl Harbor, obviously uh, the United States, particularly the West Coast, is on very high alert, fearing yet another... Uh, attack uh, from Japan, and uh, the early morning hours of February 25th of 1942, strange lights in the sky, one particularly large one, uh, the um, artillery opened up on this thing, I don't know, something like, what was it, 1,400 rounds they fired at this thing, and um, well, what do you think? Was Is that a USO we're talking about?
1: Um, well, I mean, it's close. This is one of the earliest sightings. It's interesting because it does involve multiple objects. Um, there's speculation at the time it occurred there was Japanese planes, which it clearly wasn't because they had one of these things hovering for over an hour right over downtown L.A., which was right now on full blackout. So, uh, yeah, it looks like unidentified objects. I talked to first-hand witnesses, a couple of them, uh, who were very young at the time, but said some of these objects actually came quite low uh, as they were moving in, and they came from the water area, and that's the way they left as well. And no one saw them go any other area. So this is the same part of this sort of complex of cases uh, involving multiple objects coming from this same area, and that's one of the earliest.
0: Uh, what about the, the, um, the Queen Mary? Now, thats that... Is that- is that uh, docked in? Is that Long Beach? Uh,
1: right. Yeah, it's now locked. You know, docked there. You can go there and visit it.
0: It's a, yeah, it's a well, great well tourist, off. great tourist attraction. Yeah, it's it's haunted reportedly. Um,
1: All right. Yeah, so- I've been there. It does feel haunted. I was able to photograph an orb in the haunted swimming pool area. Um, neat place, and is right along the water there. And not surprisingly, there's a report right. Um, there, actually, from someone who went to the Queen Mary for this kind of uh, tourist attraction. And as they were leaving, saw like five objects, multicolored, in a circle, so it was plain as can be that these were classic flying saucers, not ours, really shook her up kind of pretty bad, um, left a deep impression on her, and uh, that they darted off. She was one of the few people who did report, I believe, to New Fork, or perhaps move on, uh, but most people again don't report this stuff.
0: The video that was released recently from the USS Nimitz fighter group. This is uh, off the coast of San Diego of these uh, craft that are flying very low to the surface of the water. Some have said that they resembled drones. They were doing you know incredible maneuvers, incredibly high speed. Nothing that we supposedly have. No doubt you've seen those videos, and this was sort of tied into the whole Advanced Aerial uh, Threat Investigation Project, ATIP, and it was written about in the New York Times back in December of 2017. What do you make, if you've seen that video, what do you make of it? Are we looking at probably another USO here?
1: I think so, yeah. I'm excited about all these recent disclosures um, that we're seeing. I know the military is aware of this. All this activity is right in the center of a very populated area. Uh, there's a lot of military in this area. There's Point Magoo Naval Base at the north end, uh, Seal Beach uh, Weapons Station at the south end, San Clemente Island, totally military-owned. Uh, it's my understanding that they're fully aware of at least the rumors of a base is what they've officially said. Uh, I'm guessing that they're much more well aware of it based on the number of reports where people have seen these objects being chased by military. Um, I'm pretty certain it's not military um, for a number of reasons, Uh, one being that people who have been taken inside these craft are not seeing humans. They're seeing gray-type ETs or praying mantis-type ETs. Secondly, uh, this flies contrary to military practice to test craft, you know, test by their advanced aircraft over people and chase cars down the road and, you know, scare the wits out of people. That's just not how the military operates. Um, and furthermore, there's a lot of cases where these objects are being chased by military. A number of the witnesses are military themselves and are baffled at what they're seeing. It's been going on way too long to be military, and as far as like, the cases involving hundreds of craft, I would be very surprised if our military has that number of advanced craft in one area and are willing to test it in full view of you know, very surprised citizens. I don't think it's military, but I do think they're aware of it, and I think they're trying to find a way to disclose this whole mess bit by bit, but it's just a big pill for people to swallow.
0: Have you interviewed abductees who believe they've been inside this undersea base?
1: Yes. There was one particular case which kind of was one of the tipping points for me to think, well, you know, there's something going on here in terms of an undersea base. This gentleman, Grey witness, a pilot, a medical doctor, his wife is a doctor, uh, nice guy, he, as a child, was on Catalina in Avalon Harbor, a uh, teenager, with his friend, and had just bought some comic books and went, was going to go read them in the boat. And they got to the boat, and boom, it's the next morning. He had missing time. And his parents just kind of poo-pooed it, said, no, nah, you must have fallen asleep. Uh, which really upset him because, no, he didn't. And he had further encounters at his home in Tarzana, California, and uh, continued to have sightings throughout his life until finally he started to realize, you know, perhaps he's having contact, finally decided to go under hypnosis to explore this missing time incident. And he recalled not being taken into a UFO, which is, you know, what I usually do here. I hear, you know, people, they describe rounded walls, being put on a table, this type of thing. Uh, he said, "No, it was underground. There was rock walls. It was a pretty big area. It wasn't gray type E.T.s He saw. He saw something that was more insectoid. He said, a more praying mantis looking. It was wearing a little white cloak. Uh, he was not afraid. He was kind of put to the side and sat on this bench while his friend uh, was taken to another area and appeared to be the target of this contact. But yeah." couldn't say he was underwater or underground or where, but it was a cave-like area with rock walls. So he's presuming this is underground somewhere near this area. And uh, he's not the only report like this. There was another lady, a photographer. She's written a book about her experiences, Kim Carlsberg. Um, She was abducted into a UFO a number of times and at one point was taken to what appeared to be an underground area, a very vast kind of chamber. She, again, couldn't tell where it was, but it didn't look like it was inside a UFO.
0: As so. you point out in the book, these are not only coming out of uh, the ocean or the sea. That also, there have been incidents where these craft have been reported coming out of lakes. Tell me about Lake Mi- Mikosuke.
1: Yeah, that's a, a case in Florida. Really interesting uh, case involving these two people who live very near this lake. I had been seeing a bunch of UFOs in the area and decided to go boating on this rather large lake. It's pretty shallow. It's got lots of uh, lily pads in it and other growth, which kind of makes it not perfectly clear, open lake. They were out there and uh, suddenly see this object dive down into the water. They see another boat out there. He does not appear to be reacting to it. And... They watch this light go right up under this other guy's boat, who doesn't seem to see it, and then it lifts up, as I recall, and then goes back down and comes straight towards them. And they said it happened so fast, they didn't have really a chance to react, other than, to, you know, pray that nothing was going to happen to them. I'm scared the living daylights out of them, because they became very disoriented at this point. I think they may have had some form of missing time. Um, they're not entirely convinced of that. But the next thing they realize is they're in a different part of the lake, and they're moving along, and there's another boat right next to them who does not seem to see them. And they're very disoriented and immediately go home. Uh, a very strange encounter, but they pointed out that this object was moving it so fast, um, it was way faster than anything we could do. And furthermore, I mean, this lake is filled with growth, so they couldn't understand how it was getting past all these lily pad type things
0: right right you know the implication here obviously is that these who's ever piloting these things they're they're not coming from distant galaxies they don't need to you know traverse hundreds and hundreds of light years to get here they are here and perhaps always have been what do you think
1: I think it's a possibility that we can't discount because we know sightings go back quite some time um, I think it's unprecedented, really, the levels of activity we're seeing now in terms of you know, people have been taken on board and sightings and landings and this sort of thing. Maybe we've just become more aware of it, but I don't think so. To me, it looks like a you know an uh, escalation of activity. But uh, hard to say. I do think that there's a good possibility there are undersea bases and have been for a very long time, uh, at least since 1947, because that's when the Navy started detecting some weird undersea reefs moving around in the Northern California area and actually tracked it down to Southern California off the coast where it disappeared. I'm wondering if that's when they started hmm, constructing this thing. Because that's when the, the modern age of UFOs began, this kind of super wave swept across the U.S., the Roswell crash, the Kenneth Arnold sighting, and all this stuff.
0: Right, and then we also have uh, Operation High Jump down in the Antarctic, where Admiral Richard Byrd went down, supposedly to uh, sort of, I guess, scout out locations for a um, a U.S. Antarctic base. But the the official, the unofficial version is that he was negotiating with uh, the Germans down there, who had uh, moved their base of operation—the Nazis, rather—moved their base of operation after the war to the Antarctic, and they they were. In joint, I guess, in, in some sort of a cooperation with aliens down there. So. Uh,
1: and we know the military has a number of underground bases under, I mean, it's not just Cheyenne Mountain Complex in Colorado. And there are a few whistleblowers who say that there is, in fact, an undersea naval base in this area, and that ETs do visit there as well. So perhaps that's where all these reports are coming from. Uh, I just know it's not all military. There's no way.
0: Well, I think there's at least a couple more volumes uh, in this series, uh, Preston. Congratulations on Undersea UFO Base, an in depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina Channel. Appreciate your time tonight. Thank you.
1: Hey, thanks, Richard. Appreciate it.
0: All right. We'll see you on Coast. You got it. Coming up, Psychic Angela Thomas. Stay with us.